BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022 by making investments from coast to coast. Investments like building charging hubs for fleets of electric buses in California and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. The Philadelphia Eagles are Super Bowl champions. Eagles fans everywhere, this is for you. Let the celebration begin. The last time Corey Clement made a huge play, it was in Super Bowl 52. The last time he made several huge plays, it was in Super Bowl 52. That's fair. What, a, what an unusual career he's had. And uh, he's back with the Eagles, signs a one-year veteran minimum salary. We're going to talk about that on this Eagle Eye podcast brought to you by HERS. We'll get into an interview with Chris Sims. We'll have him on a little bit later. And then we'll break down my 53-man roster projection. Little early for it, I know, but never too early. Never, you're right. Never, I like that attitude. Never too early. And I like the fact that you'll do a completely different one next week with like nine guys different, you know. I won't. I won't. Version two. I would normally do the next one after OTAs, but I don't know when I'll do the next one. And honestly, it who knows? Maybe I'll be more correct this year because guys will have less of a chance to prove themselves. I doubt it. Uh, yeah, Fair but the Corey, the Corey Clement, I think it didn't come as a surprise to anybody. Um, it made sense if the Eagles had tendered him, it would have cost them uh, oh, about $2.3 million by releasing him and letting him explore free agency um, and not tendering him. They're able to get him much cheaper. They saved about a million point three, $1.3 million. So, uh, I got a few people that, you know, oh, he's always hurt. Why are they doing this? But I like the move. I mean, with what they're going to ask him to do, um, it's, it's not like he got a bonus. There's no big, you know, it's it's a minimum deal. If it doesn't work out, if he gets hurt, uh, it's not going to cost him anything. Um, he's got some ability, and we saw that. Even the first half of 2018, he did some good things before his season ended. Um, last year, he he didn't play. Played a couple games, never got it. Did get it? Only played three snaps on offense all year. Um, but I like the move. Uh, he's he's a a really good special teamer, which I think will be his main role here. And he probably won't no return chance. anymore, at least on punts. Yeah, I would agree with that. Um, he seems to get hurt on special teams. Doesn't really get hurt on offense. Uh, but uh, he's you know he's a guy that there's really no downside to having him around. He loves being here. Yeah, uh, he told and- us on it. If yeah, that's ahead. what they want, I mean, they want guys who want to be here. They want guys who work hard. He, he fits that. Yeah, and he's, no, he, he's, he's a good receiver. He knows the offense. It's funny. He's the only running back who's still in the league for the moment from the 2000s. So you look at Jay Ajay, the Garrett Blunt, Darren Sproles, Kenyon Barner, and Wendell Smallwood. I expect somebody will sign Smallwood at some point, but uh, none of them are currently on a roster. So Corey Clement, So as of yesterday, there wasn't a single running back from the Super Bowl team that was on, that was with a team. I don't think you know. I think Blunt is obviously he's done. JGI could very well be done. He didn't seem to have anything left when he was here briefly last year. That was not a great move. Darren Sproles is officially retired. 
Smallwood and Barner, who knows? Maybe they'll get a uh, get in a camp somewhere. But complete turnover at their running back spot. Yeah, and, I mean the Clement thing. It, there's not even a guarantee he makes the team. Uh, I, I think, and he kind of mentioned it. He has to have that rookie mindset. Yeah, because he doesn't have the teammate. I mean, you look. At the, we're going to get in my 53 man roster later, but we know the top two guys. But there's no guarantee Corey Clement makes the team. And, and based on how little they played him last year before the injury. I think it kind of tells you where he, he might be in the pecking order, but I, there's not really, you're right. There's not really a downside to this move. If there's some of that ability left, then it's worth it. I mean, he seems to think there is, but I wouldn't expect him to say otherwise. I bet you if you asked Jay Ajayi last year, he could tell you he was ready to go too. Um, but Corey's younger and, and he did make the point that because he's gotten in a weird way, because he's gotten injured, he hasn't done a lot in the last he's few well years. He's well-rested. So, I mean, the rest of his body parts that haven't been injured haven't taken that wear and tear. It's an interesting way to look at it. I'm not sure that's how most people would look at it, but I like that. And we'll see. I, is he going to be – is he ever going to reach the level he did in the Super Bowl? Probably not, and that's what makes his career so unique. But can he be a somewhat productive player? Can he be a depth rotational type play piece? Yeah, probably. The only remaining, uh, other than Kelsey, the only remaining piece of the Philly special that's still here, the only guy that touched the ball that's still here. But, uh, yeah, and I think uh, when you look at the, the the running backs they have, I think he'll have an advantage over, you know, say um, – you know, an undrafted guy like Michael Warren or the uh, Killian guy from Central Florida, because he's, uh, he's this is his fourth year. He knows the offense. If there's no OTAs, even if there's no or, or curtailed training camp, even a shorter season, he'll be able to go in and, and play, you know, at a, at a functional level where a newcomer, I, I don't I don't know how he would do that. So I think, you know, I, I think if you have Sanders, Scott and Corey, and Corey's only 25. I mean, he's still a young guy. He came in the league at 22. Uh, if if you have those three guys and one of the one of the rookies, um, yeah, you're on your way to decent running back rotation right there. Yeah, I think so. And we saw what Corey was able to do in his rookie year during that training camp. I mean, I was a doubter about if he was really going to make the team and if he'd have some kind of a role. And he had a role here and there throughout the season. But I mean, when it mattered the most, he was a huge player for this team. I know that was a long time ago, and, and you do start to wonder about, you know, how he got in that trap last year a little bit, bringing back guys for sentimental reasons. Um, but the – Yeah, this $5 one, million or $9 million a year. Exactly. This one. I was going to make that point, Rube. Sorry. <laughs> yeah, that, that's the point, is that this one doesn't have the downside as those other moves did. Yeah. Um, you know, I watched the Super Bowl. It was on uh, in its entirety – uh, I guess about two weeks ago, and I watched the whole thing, and it, it just blows your mind. I mean, the, the the plays he made, as incredible as the touchdown catch was in the back of the end zone, and I still don't believe that they they let it stand, or I guess they overturned it. it was was originally no, it was originally ruled complete. Mm-hmm. I mean, he was shifting the ball from one hand to the other. <coughs> excuse me, as he was, as he was trying to get his feet down. It was so close, but an incredible play. Um, I mean, an incredible throw. My God. But the, 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 play, the play that set up the Philly special at the end of the second quarter, 
the 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 run and catch. I think it was a fifty-five yarder. I mean, that play is my. He's breaking tackles. He was he was eluding guys. He was running over guys, running through guys. I think he got like seventeen yards after the initial contact, where he just kept kept dragging guys. Uh, I'm not saying he's going to make those plays again in, in a Super Bowl, but it does show you when he's healthy that he can be a he can be a pretty good weapon. So you know, there's definitely a spot on my team for him now. If it doesn't work out this year, if he gets hurt again, uh, you, you move on. But um, I'm all for it. I, I like the move. He's a great guy. He's a local kid. He loves being here. He said, he, he said, I'm not sure if I believe him, but he did say he told his agent he didn't want to even talk to other teams because he wanted to be here. I don't think that's really how it works. <laughs> but uh, I, I don't think there was going to be, especially because he only got cleared you know, with his shoulder uh, you know, in, in the past week or two. So it's not, he couldn't go and work out for anybody anyway. Um, so a guy like that, um, it's a lot easier to come back to the team that knows you, that knows what you're all about, that has your x-rays and your, you know, your, your lab workups and all that stuff. So um, really not a surprising move. And, you know, we'll see. The one thing I do kind of love about Corey is that he didn't catch the ball when he was at college. And then he got to the NFL and he always thought he had the ability, but he works so hard at it. Uh, it, it's funny you mentioned that we all think about that back of the end zone touchdown. There's one thing that Corey does before every single game, and that's catch balls in the back of yeah. the end zone. Um, and so it was kind of cool to see that work pay off for him. Yeah, I got a photo of him doing that, making uh, one of those. When we were waiting to do our hit with Gunner, I was kind of, you know, uh, he, he makes them in the back of the end zone, always in that same corner. He's just mm-hmm. kind of like skying up. And I showed it to him after the game. And he's like, man, you got to send that to me. It's like me channeling my, my inner Odell. <laughs> uh, yeah, it's pretty cool. But, yeah, he does. He, he works hard at everything. And, um, yeah, great player at Wisconsin, but never never caught the ball. Good blocker, good special teamer. Uh, so we'll see what happens there. Hey, Eagles fans, Sunday is your birds binge. We live some of the best moments in Eagles history with NBC Sports Philadelphia. Start with a special look at the 1960 championship season. Then check out a brand new exclusive interview with Super Bowl MVP Nick Foles. After that, reminisce with Eagles Post Game Live Super Bowl Edition. And I'm sure they'll be talking about Corey Clement on that. And finally, end the night on a high note with the Eagles Championship Parade right up Broad Street. Sunday is for the birds starting at 6 o'clock on NBC Sports Philadelphia. Joining us now on the Eagle Eye podcast presented by hers, former NFL quarterback from NBC Sports, and the Chris Sims Unbuttoned podcast. Chris Sims, thanks so much for joining us. No, thanks for having me, guys. Hope you're doing okay. I mean, uh, it's a little weird here doing the old Zoom interview connections, but it's the world we live in, so uh, so be it. And let, let's talk some ball. Yeah, so we're going to start with something. I'm sure you have no idea what's coming right now, but the Jalen Hurts pick, it was kind of the lightning rod, uh, at least here in Philadelphia. When the Eagles made that pick, what was your initial reaction? Um, I, I won't say that I'm shocked. You know, there was just too many rumors and things like that that Jalen Hurts was going to go at some point in the second round. Now, who that was going to be, I don't know. Now, uh, I wasn't, uh, you know, I, I never took this as, oh, man, now Carson Wentz is in trouble. They got somebody behind him. You better watch his butt. You know, no, I don't think it's that at all. You know, Jalen Hurts, I do think, was brought in to, yes, be a little bit of an insurance policy as a backup quarterback for Carson Wentz at some point. But I think more, more than anything is 
they brought him in to be a utility weapon for that Philadelphia Eagles offense. Now, do I love it? Would I have rather them got another big-time receiver or made a move in the second round to trade up and get some of the receivers that were drafted before Jalen Hurts or even take Denzel Mims, who was after Jalen Hurts? Yes, I would have been in favor of that. But Howie Roseman, Doug Peterson, as much as I don't love this draft they had, I do trust them and have a lot of respect for what they do and know, and know they know how to build a football team. But I'm not going to sit here and tell you I love that pick. Chris, let's talk about Hertz uh, himself, and he's got such a unique skill set. Um, I love the fact that he was a winner. I think combined at Alabama and Oklahoma, he was, I think, 40-3 and three as a starting quarterback, 80 touchdowns, 20 interceptions, almost 10,000 passing yards. We know about the rushing yards. Uh, what are your impressions of him as a college player, and, and how, do you, how do you think the Eagles could make use of that skill set uh, at, at points where he's not the starting quarterback? Right. Well, I think there's a lot of positives about the player. I do. I mean, I, okay, so the first thing to hit on, you know, when you talk about using Jalen Hurts, I think he, he loves football. I know he's a great leader and brings great energy to the locker room. I think he could be that, you know, wildcat type quarterback slash, hey, it's, uh, we got him next to Carson Wentz here as a halfback on third down, and he could go out and run routes out of the backfield like a running back. You know, on first and second down, you, you might give him a toss sweep and see what he has around the edge and then, you know, have a halfback pass off of that to where, you know, you're worried about that. But I ultimately see a very Taysom Hill-ish type package in Jalen Hurts' future. I think that's really what it is. Now, you know, when you talk about his career in college, yes, you know, listen, we're, we're in this era of right now of the quarterback, the quarterback, the quarterback. That's the only reason Oklahoma and Alabama win, yet Alabama wins with every quarterback every year, and so does Oklahoma. You know, so we, we, we blow that out of proportion at times. As a quarterback, he is a below-average thrower. He does not really want to throw the ball. You know, that was the big thing that I came away with in my evaluation was, one, not a great thrower. Accuracy is below NFL average. And then – Two, doesn't really want to throw. You know, there was a difference. Lamar Jackson, when you watch him coming out of Louisville, he wanted to throw first. He would sit there and go through progressions. Jalen Hurts, it was like if the first guy wasn't wide open, he was going to put his, his eyes down and look to run. So there's a lot of developing to do as far as him as a quarterback, right? And, you know, I'll point this out, and I don't mean to be a jerk because you guys do a great job. I've said this a few times lately, though. When you start off the evaluation of a player as he's a winner and things like that, that always to me is a little scary because I want to go, nah, I'd rather hear he had a rocket right arm or unbelievable power or speed, and then we could talk about the intangibles and things like that. So, you know, that's just to me, how gifted as an athlete is he? I don't think he's as gifted as Taysom Hill. I don't. Uh, but I, I understand that this is a new thing in the NFL, and there's certainly a little niche to have this type of player in your playbook. Hey, Chris, how about the locker room dynamic of this? You've spent time in NFL locker rooms and quarterback rooms. It might not be a popular pick in the locker room and in the quarterback room. How do you think they navigate those waters? Yeah, that's a good question. You know, one, I think that organization, the players in the locker room are going to know everybody's place. You know, Carson Wentz, between the fact that the Eagles made a big-time trade to get him at the number two pick of the draft, got rid of Nick Foles, right, after he won the Super Bowl and had two pretty good playoff runs, and then, of course, paid him 
$100 million guaranteed. You know, I, I think they all know that that's their guy. So I don't think it's going to upset the locker room too much. I really don't. I think Carson Wentz is going to sit there and go, hey, man, another weapon, another, you know, jack of all trades for our offense. I'll take it. I mean, again, we saw Carson Wentz carry the football team, you know, to nobody can even compare it to what he did the last six or seven weeks of the year. It was special. So I think he'll be hungry for any type of help and talent he can get around him on the offense. And then the other thing is, too, I, I you know, because, yes, you're right, this guy had a great college career. The first time they see these two throw the football next to each other, that's going to silence a lot of the things, I think, where they're going to go, okay, yep, all right, he's developmental project, good athlete, but nope, he can't throw the ball anything like our big soldier number 11, Carson Wentz. Well, uh, you know, you kind of touched on this, but what are your impressions of Carson as a quarterback? Obviously, the injuries have been – uh, kind of the defining factor these last few years. But when he's been healthy, you know, um, I mean, he's played at such a high level. What, what, do you, what do you think of him as a player? Man, I'm, I'm a huge Carson Wentz fan. You know, I'm, I'm not going to sit here and tell you he's one of the five best quarterbacks in football, right? I think if I had to make my top five, it would be Mahomes, Russell Wilson, um, uh, Deshaun Watson, Aaron Rodgers, Lamar Jackson. But I think Carson Wentz is that next group down. He's in there. You know, again, the thing I look at Carson Wentz is great ability. You know, size is a skill. His ability to throw with people around him in the pocket, it's very special. He does have a big-time arm. His ability to escape outside the pocket and make big plays is very special for that size, too. So, you know, when I evaluate a quarterback, I'm big into, yes, they take advantage of what's there to be had, but when there's nothing there to be had because the offense isn't going to always block right or Doug Peterson's not always going to call the play the right way, man, Carson Wentz can still make chicken salad out of chicken you-know-what at times. And that's what I really respect about him. And you said it. I mean, 2017, he's the MVP of football if he doesn't get hurt. And last year, the way he played the last six or seven weeks of the year, that was special. I only think there's a handful of quarterbacks in football that could have done what he did last year. Hey, Chris, I want to ask you about the Eagles' first-round pick. I know you were really high on Justin Jefferson I think you had him ranked as your second best receiver in this class. So he's sitting there at 21, and then the Eagles don't take him for Jalen Rager. What were your impressions about that decision? Uh, you know, again, it's, it's, it's one of those where, like I said, I really I, – you know, anybody who listens to me, I have the greatest respect for what the Eagles do, but I didn't love that pick either. I did not. Yes, I mean, I thought Justin Jefferson – is clearly head and shoulders a better football player than Jalen Rieger. Jalen Rieger, I understand what they saw in him to a degree, and I understand there's a, you know, a niche on the football team to get somebody who can take the top off and be a deep threat and do all that. I get that. I still think there was better options on the board to accomplish that. You know? And you know, maybe even trade down and still could have had better options on the board. You know, I mean, like, hey, guys like K.J. Hamler, Chase Claypool, if you took them at the end of the first, early second, I would have gone, whoa, they fly on film. They are much more explosive than a Jalen Rieger. I have concerns about Jalen Rieger. You know, I think one, you know, not a real big guy, does, you know, is tough and physical. I did not think like his 447, I didn't watch film and go, oh, he just had a bad day running the 40. He's really like a 4-3 guy. I did not think that translated. I thought his route running was very shabby. And, hey, listen, guys, I'm never a big fan of anybody being tricked, uh, picked at number 21 
who ran a slower 5-10-5 and three-cone drill than I did. That, to me, is scary when your life is about running fast in short areas. So I didn't love that pick. <laughs> <laughs> Last thing for me, uh, I want to go to the other side of the football, Chris, and talk some defense. Uh, Jim Schwartz is a guy that you were with, I think, for a year uh, down in Tennessee, and Matt Burke as well. Um, I just want to get your impressions of, of Jim and uh, maybe how his schemes have evolved in the uh, – I'm not going to say how many years since you were with him down there. Um, and, and just your impressions of Matt Burke, who's the, the run defense coordinator here. Um, and those guys together, again, uh, you know, I think Jim's done such a good job with, uh, with all the injuries and limited resources, Definitely. especially in the secondary. Uh, what do you think of Jim as a coach, and, and how have you seen his scheme evolve over the years? Yeah, I, I think Jim, you know, to me, I'm with you. I really like Jim Schwartz and what he brings to the table on the defensive side of the ball. And Matt Burke, you know, that combination right there, those two are the better defensive coaches I was ever around in my eight-year NFL career. And when I was with the Tennessee Titans, we had one of the best defense in football. You know, Schwartz at that time, well, this is what I love about Schwartz. He's really got great knowledge of just about any scheme as far as what to run on a given time. You know, so like you said, when he's got injuries or something's wrong, he can kind of invent a new attack on a weekly basis that I think is very impressive. You know, back in my times with them in Tennessee, we were a very talented defense at that time. You might remember Albert Hainsworth, Cortland Finnegan, you know, uh, uh, our, oh, I'm blanking on our big middle linebacker, Keith Bullock from, from Syracuse. You know, there was – so we were one of the top defenses in football, and he played very simple. I mean, we played a lot of very simple base coverages because he said, we're talented. As long as we don't mess up, it's going to be hard for an offense to do something against us. So I think he's great at having a feel for his roster and what's needed and all that. If I had one complaint about Jim Schwartz, at times I think he gets a little too aggressive where I just want to go, please, you know, just play coverage. We don't need to, like, send the house and blitz seven or eight guys. But – uh, I thought they had a very good free agency uh, as far as the defensive side of the ball is concerned with Darius Slay and Javon Hargrave and even Jatavis Brown. Uh, and then, of course, let's not forget Malik, Malik Jackson's going to be back this year too, who he'll be a handful. So, I, you know, I like Jim Schwartz, that defensive staff, and certainly like some of the talent they have on that defensive side of the ball. You can follow Chris Sims at CSimsQB on Twitter. And check out the Chris Sims Unbuttoned podcast. Chris, thanks so much for your time. We really appreciate it. Anytime, guys. Be good. Stay safe out there. Always good too, talk. Chris. Be good. Thank you. See you, guys. Hey, everybody. Your NBC Sports Philadelphia podcasts are now on the My Teams app. Listen to Eagle Eye, Sixers Talk, Phillies Talk, and Flyers Talk. All of them on the app, My Teams, right now. Interesting stuff there from Chris. Yeah, I think he said about 12 times, you know, I'm a big fan of Howie and Doug, but yeah. <laughs> uh, and and Chris knows his stuff. This is a guy that played in the NFL for seven years. Uh, and and he's, you know, he's really plugged in. He's been an analyst. Uh, he was a coach. He was he was with the Patriots for as a kind of entry level coach, seeing if that's what he wanted to do. Uh, so he's seen this game from from every angle. And um he was very blunt in his assessments of both Jalen Hurts and uh, Jalen Rager. Um, not a fan of either pick, Dave. Yeah, well, no, the thing with the, the, the Rager pick, and I knew this way back when, I mean, some people like Justin Jefferson. Chris Sims loved Justin Jefferson. He had him ranked as the second-best receiver in this class, which was kind of bucking the trend of most analysts. Most analysts had Justin Jefferson fourth. 
in the class. So it kind of tells you if you're Chris Sims and you're sitting there and you're thinking the Eagles have a chance to get the second best receiver, in my opinion, at 21, and they don't take it for a guy that you have serious questions about, then I kind of understand his viewpoint there. Yeah, that's true. Uh, but, you know, he's very specific in his – you know, he, he didn't just say, I don't like Jalen Rager. I mean, he was very, very clear on, um, you know, his, his route running. He said sloppy, uh, didn't like his 40 time. He, and and I, it was interesting the way he phrased it. He, I wasn't surprised when I heard his time. It's like he was one of those guys where he looked faster on tape. He, he said that's about what he is. Which is – actually, I want to get to that because that's precisely the Eagles' argument is that he is faster – yeah. Than that 40. And that's kind of what we've heard from most people. Um, and it, it seems like I don't want to poo poo that opinion from Chris because it's certainly a valid one. But it, it seems like the play speed, like the GPS numbers support the idea that Rager is faster than that 40 time as well. Chris Hibbs did have a better short shuttle time than Rager. It wasn't even close, 431 to 446. But uh, Rager actually edged him in the uh, in the three cone drill, seven thirty one to seven thirty eight. Although Rager Still not ranked great, <laughs> Rager ranked fortieth out of forty nine receivers who ran it at the combine this past year. Does that bother you, by the way? The, the cone drill, three cone. I mean, DK Metcalf was awful last year. Yeah, I guess um, they're different players, and you would think Rager would be better at it if they're going to use him on screen passes and and kind of gadgety stuff yeah um i'm not crazy about it uh i was looking at different numbers and i saw josh mccown ran faster than, than oh we've seen those wheels though. yeah you know he keeps tweeting them out um <laughs> but yeah it, it's uh i mean he's very specific in his in his criticisms of rager and they're kind of similar to what we've heard from other people um but yeah i mean there's some people that love rager and um you know only time will tell as asia sang once upon a time <laughs> Remember that song, Only Time Will Tell? Asia, Steve Howe, those guys. John I did Wendt. like – all right, I'm going to move on. I yeah. did like the, uh, the one thing Chris said about the locker room dynamics because I was interested to hear his opinion on that because he, he's someone who's not just been in the locker room but been in a quarterback room. And we know those, those rooms more than any other room can be a little finicky. Is that the word I'm looking for? Sure. Um, but I, I thought – he put it well that, you know, Carson, when, when you get these guys on the field, and I think this is very true and very fair, like you're going to see pretty clearly that Carson Wentz is the better quarterback. Um, and and I, it's not going to be close when you, you're talking about arm strength and, and presence. I mean, Carson Wentz is a 6'5 stallion. Hertz is a great athlete, and he has upside as a, as a passer, but he, he's nowhere near – the pastor that Carson Wentz is. And I, I think that if there were people in the building who thought that maybe they'd changed courses, it's not going to happen without another catastrophic injury for Carson Wentz. Uh, he's not a great thrower. Accuracy is below NFL average. Um, he doesn't want to throw the ball. <laughs> you know, um, he even said uh, he's not as much of a, he's not as good an athlete as Taysom Hill, who is undrafted. Yeah, and, and his thing about Lamar Jackson, because that's been a comparison we've heard a lot for Jalen Hurts. Uh, and I'm just paraphrasing Chris here, and you he just heard him, but that Lamar, at least when he watched him at Louisville, he wanted to throw the ball, whereas it seems like Hurts is, you know, if his 
one read isn't there, he's taken off. And maybe that's part of the offense too now. You, you can't just totally put that on him. If that's what he's being asked to do and he's doing it, you, you don't know. But some stuff to think about there for sure. And, and we didn't okay, – uh, people are, are upset at us because we don't like – we're not huge fans of some of these picks. We did not get – we had no idea what Chris thought of these picks. We got them on just because we, we respect and value his opinion. And uh, it ended up that he, he wasn't a fan of either of those picks. But kind of like most national people who haven't been a fan of the picks, they always preface it by, but I trust how he knows what he's doing. And um, I, I've kind of heard Joe Banner, who, who's been on the pod before, say similar things. Like, not what I would have done, but this is a front office that always has a plan. And I kind of trust that they do here. We'll find out what it is. but. I think they've earned a little bit benefit of the doubt. Maybe not when it comes to the draft. Yeah, that's a, that's a good question. Um, yeah, we'll see. Um, I mean, yeah, I don't know. I, I, I think that's fair. I, I think that's fair that uh, they did build a Super Bowl winner. I'm not quite sure how. It was kind of an unusual way to build a team with some older veterans that all happened to have one year left. They all happened to have You'll one. get Patrick Robinson, Chris Long – like Garrett Blunt, Jay Ajayi, throw them all together. And they were all out of the league like a year later. Yeah. Uh, we're almost out of the league or hurt or whatever. But, yeah, it was a, um, it was a, it was an unusual way to build a Super Bowl team. But, yeah, but we appreciate Chris. Uh, he's, um, he knows his stuff, and he's, he's, he's really astute, really sharp guy. And we're not just saying that because we agree with him. <laughs> Uh, so Corey Clement's back. There are a few notable Eagles still on the market. Uh, I, I think the top three are probably Jason Peters, Vinnie Curry, Nigel Bradham. And we've done this a few times at, at different benchmarks. But you think there's a chance any of those three are back? And if you had to pick one to come back, if you're running the team, who would you bring back? Well, um, yeah, it's interesting. You can make a case for all three of those guys in a way. Um, we, uh, Lane Johnson did an interview with John Clark and, and I guess it was, uh, Wednesday, yesterday said, basically said, um, I wouldn't be surprised if they bring him back. Now it's not like he has insider info. He's just kind of, they don't have a, they don't have a reliable backup tackle except Tom. <laughs> Other than Tom. Uh, now you got to tell people. I was listening to the interview and he kept saying, you know, um, he said, all he we said, have is Tom. All we have is Tom. He was like, I'm like, who is Tom? And like, they had a, they had a tackle named Tom McHale like 20 years ago. I'm like, did they resign Tom McHale? <laughs> and um, so Rube asked me, he's like, can you listen to this? And, and I didn't know what he said. Like, who is Lane Tom? Johnson is talking about. So I'm I looking at their to... undrafted rookies. I'm looking at the roster. I'm looking at last year's roster. I'm looking at the coaching staff. Who is Tom? <laughs> so I listened to it, and it's Lane in his typical Southern accent saying time. Uh, and I Tom. gave Rube some crap about that because you've been around Lane long enough to to be able to recognize he was saying time. It's more of a Texas accent than a than a uh, Southern yeah. drawl type thing. But yeah, all we have is Tom. All we have is Tom. <laughs> and I'm, I'm like, it's, he's definitely not saying Jordan. <laughs> but they don't have any. They don't have any experience at. And I, you know, these two Auburn Nor tackles. Toms. They don't have any Toms either. The two Auburn kids. You know, who knows? Um, they're you know day three. I think Driscoll's probably. Better suited inside? Probably, yeah. He's probably a guard. Um, the other kid, uh, you know, if he's healthy, you know, we'll, we'll see. Maybe he has a shot. You can get a tackle late in, the, late in the draft like that. 
Um, but as far as going into the opener, I mean, you have a guy playing left tackle who I think he did okay, and I, I think he'll be all right, but certainly a question mark, I think. And um, we know there are questions about him in that organization. Absolutely. Sure. Just, that's not even an arguable point anymore. I think from a football standpoint, it makes, it makes perfect sense. You bring back Jason Peters uh, to be a backup, but – you know, you have to think of the other dimension. What kind of effect is that going to have on an already fragile Andre Dillard? I'll tell you what. Jason Peters ain't coming back to be a backup. You're the one who says he wants to play and that he'd rather play as – he'd rather be a backup and have the confidence. He's Jason Peters. He Wherever I go as a backup, I'm going to be a starter by week six. Um, I mean, Jeff Stoutland always says he has – and I've used the Stoutland quote before, but he says he has a responsibility – to put the best five on the field. And the problem is if Jason Peters is on the team, he's one of the best five. He just is. I, I agree with you, but I think um, that's where Doug and Howie and Jeff Stoutland sit down and with, J- with Jason Peters and say, look, we'll, we'll bring you back, but Andre Dillard is the starter. Now, if he gets hurt or if he sucks, you know, you're going to go play left tackle, but we got to get this kid going for the future He's a first-round pick. We traded up for him a few spots. Got to get him going. I just wonder what kind of effect that'll have on, on, on Dillard. I don't know. Yeah, I mean, it's very possible. You ever try to do a, do a term paper left-handed? It's not easy, you know. <laughs> well, that's part of it. I mean, this is someone who gave them reason to question him last year and to bring in a, a Hall of Famer and say – we have him just in case you screw up. Might not be the best plan to get the most out of your first-round pick. Might be the best football sense, but... Well, the other option is you t- if JP doesn't get a, uh, an offer anywhere, you tell him, look, you stay in shape, which he probably would do anyway. He's not going to practice anyway. Um, so you just stay in shape, and if it doesn't work out, we're going to bring you back. You sign him on Monday, he could go out and play Sunday. Yeah, that's basically what he does anyway. That's right. So... Uh, you know, you, you stay home, and and uh, if we need you, we'll call you. Um, I don't think the Nigel Bradham one is happening. I don't either. They drafted two linebackers. If there's one position where you can get by without experience and try to go with youth and speed, it's probably linebacker. I don't know how ready Davion Taylor is to really be a contributor. Same with Sean Bradley, but they still have Nathan Gary and TJ Edwards and and Duke Riley, who's played a little bit. Um, I, and we know that they're not going to put major resources into it. So, to me, I think they're probably going to stick with what they have there. Yeah. And if you bring back Nigel, you're going to have to cut one of those rookies. Is it worth it? Yeah. And Curry, um, that wouldn't shock me. I mean, I think Curry makes the most sense. He probably makes the most sense. I think Peters does from a football standpoint, but there's just so many – kind of tendrils That's to that. Fair. But, uh, you know, Vinnie Curry certainly isn't going to threaten um, Derek Barnett or Brandon Graham, but he gives you a little bit of depth. They don't, they don't have proven depth at that position. And um, Curry's getting older, but he did have five sacks last year. He played, you know, for a third edge rusher. He played, played okay. He's gotten better against the run. Uh, gives you some honest snaps. And I'd bring him back. Yeah, I mean, he's the one that makes sense because you have – the top two, Derek Barnett, Brandon Graham, Josh Sweat, who's going to play. I mean, he, by the end of the year, he is playing a little bit more than Vinny, and I would expect that the next, like, if Vinny, even if Vinny's back, Josh Sweat's probably still the third guy 
But then Vinny as a fourth isn't terrible. Um, and especially because after that, they have Jannard Avery, who not really just like a base end. He, he's kind of a kind of a gadgety mm-hmm. pass rusher that they'll move around and find ways to use. Sharif Miller, who was, you know, basically had a redshirt season. And then Casey Tuhill, who has a great athletic profile as a, what was he, a seventh-round pick. But I think he's more of a project. So I'm not even very sure he'll make the team. You're going to gloss right over Joe Osman, aren't you? You're doing that on purpose. I know. I'm, I'm, not, I'm not. I like Joe Osman. I, I, but I, the problem for Joe Osman is he's kind of an undersized – End, and I think they would use him in a similar way to how they're probably going to use Gennard Avery. True. And they use a draft pick to, to trade for Avery. So Fourth rounder. Um, yeah, that would be my head. I don't know if Joe, if Joe Osman would be just a, a normal end. Sure, yeah. Um, the, the thing about Jim Schwartz, I think he, he gave four defensive ends at least 350 snaps last year. So that fourth pass rusher spot is uh, – that's a – you know, that's not just a guy who's riding the bench. That's a guy who's playing, um, you know, 20, 20 snaps a game, 15, 20 snaps a game, depending on the opponent and the situation and the score and all that. But um, that fourth guy right now, I guess he would probably say is Sharif Miller. Yeah. Um, and the other play. option there, and I don't know how much they would do it, but they could play Malik Jackson at end here and there. Judging by some interviews he's done this offseason, that doesn't seem to be what he wants to do. He wants to still rush inside and be the third defensive tackle in that rotation, which that guy plays a lot too. So, um, right. They, so if you start playing him outside, now you need it. You know, now we're talking exactly. about depth inside. But I do think he will line up outside here and there. But I don't think they're going to look at him and say you're a defensive end. Yeah, He's I mean they do that with like Fletcher sometimes too. They'll put Fletcher yeah. outside to get a different matchup. Yeah, uh, and maybe they'll do a little bit of that with Malik, but. Yeah, he, there was a, a time where people thought, you know, as soon as they, they signed uh, Hargrave, a lot of people were trying to figure out, well, what's this mean for Malik? Is he going to play defensive end now? And, and I, I don't think full-time that's their plan. I would agree with that. All right, you want to go through this 53-man roster and tell me where I'm wrong? Yeah, I think you got it right. 53 out of 53. I think you're in good shape. <laughs> well, I didn't know how to do it this year because this is th- – so the way the new CBA works is teams are allowed to have 55-man rosters for game day, but they have, but that's all that they're allowed to call up two players per week from the practice squad, the expanded practice squad, to the game day roster, and then bring them back on the practice squad without subjecting them to waivers, which is kind of silly because people can sign them off the practice squad whenever they want anyway. But I guess it's. Um, a little under the radar. So I didn't know whether I should have 55 or 53. I kept it at 53 to make it a little harder on myself. And also because I think they're going to just kind of play matchups throughout the year. If they have injuries at one position or, or they want to, or they have like two different types of player. I'll get into that in a minute, but like if they have that tight end, they can have more of a blocker and more of a pass catcher bring up, one or the other, depending on who they play that week. Um, so let's go through it. Uh, quarterback was easy. The easiest one we had, um, Carson Wentz, Nate Sudfeld, Jalen Hurts. And I did put them in order because I think Nate Sudfeld is a backup this year. I don't think there's any question. Everything we've heard from the Eagles 
has pointed that direction mm-hmm. that he's he's going to be number two. So, um, yeah, I would agree with that. Should okay. have been number two last year. <laughs> You're probably right. Um, running back, Miles Sanders, Boston Scott, Corey Clement, Michael Warren the second. Michael Warren's the Cincinnati kid. Mm-hmm. Uh, really productive. I mean, huge numbers. Um, he's got some size. Uh, so that, that's going to be interesting. I know a lot of people are excited to see the, the central Florida kid who's got the, you know, he's got all the speed. Yeah. Adrian but, Killens. Yeah. Killens. But you, I mean, you made a good point the other day that he might be too much like their other backs, um, just a smaller, fast guy where they yeah. might want the bigger, that, that last guy in the roster to be the bigger, um, you know, size, size running back. And right now, Elijah Holyfield might have a slight edge. He's been here. They picked him up at the end of the last season. So I really think those last four or those last two spots come down to four players, Corey Clement, Michael Warren, Elijah Holyfield, and Adrian Killens. If they keep four, only two of them are going to make it. So um, for now, I have Clement and Warren, but that could change once we see practices. Yeah, no, no doubt. Uh, I mean, we don't know anything about Holyfield, so – yeah. He's never played either. The only thing we know is they liked him enough to bring him in at the end of the last year to give them a head start on him. So I think they like him in some capacity. Where'd you go with uh, wide receivers? All right. So I had these six. Deshaun Jackson, Jalen Rager, J.J. Arcega-Whiteside, Greg Ward, Marquise Goodwin, John Hightower. Wait, you have a typo here. You don't have Deontay Burnett in there. <laughs> Um, this one's tough because we don't know about Alshon. I conveniently put Alshon on the pup, which I think is very possible. Sure. With that list, Frank. And until I see him on the field, I can't really project him to be ready to start the season. And I have Goodwin on here, but he's another one. I don't know where that knee is right now. And I'm not sure the Eagles do. Yeah. If, if I was going to make a 53, I would not put Goodwin on it. I might put, um, I don't know, Quez well, Watkins or yeah, but, Quez Watkins, who was a six-round pick. I don't have him making the team, which is going to be unpopular. But who are you taking off? Yeah, it, well, it would have to be Goodwin, I guess. My thing about Goodwin is we've seen these guys, and I like the player. And you know, certainly three years ago, a guy had almost a thousand yards. But we've seen so many of these guys, and at that position, you know, once you start trending downward, we don't often see them trend back upward, whether it's skill declining or injuries or whatever the reason, all, all those Steve Smiths and Ruben Randles and Kabar Akins and who wants Chris to call Givens. like Chris Givens. I mean, we can go through, uh, you know, um, there's been so many of those guys. Um, they never seem to get that bounce back that you, that you hope for. So, you know, you, you hope, I mean, I, you know, I'm rooting for the track guy, you know, I'm rooting for the national high school long jump record holder at 1610 uh, to uh, 2610. But, um, I think it's a long shot. I really do. And I, I don't have a problem with them getting them. It didn't cost them a thing. Uh, 20, what, 20 picks? <laughs> yeah. You know, so um, I have no problem with that. It's worth a look-see. But I, I don't see him being here when, when the season does start. Um, I, I think, I think I, I, it's hard to imagine them putting Watkins and Hightower on the 53 or the 55, whatever. It would be the 53. Um, but out of what's available now and what, what we know – um, you know, the competition is guys like, you know, Burnett and, you know, Robert Davis and Shelton and Gibson, Shelton Gibson. I, I'm not even putting him in that competition category. Um, and honestly, I mean, I think Greg Ward's going to make the team, but you can make a case that 
they'd keep a draft pick over him. Boy, that, there's going to be a riot if that happens. He's the uh, yeah. most popular wide receiver here since Paul Turner. Yeah, and and unlike Paul Turner, who I really did like and I was a fan of, Greg Ward's really earned this roster spot. I mean, he didn't have one game. He, he played well for the entire time he was with the Eagles last year. So you, you hope he makes the team, honestly. You kind of root for that guy. Yeah, uh, he's such a pro. He's such a – yeah. Yeah, he's, he's come so far, and I, I – I would have a hard time cutting him. I, I would. I, I saw enough. I mean, if you project his production over that last, what was it, six games? I mean, you're looking at a 60 catch guy out of the slot mm-hmm. um, for, you know, like 600 and 700 yards. I mean, he wasn't averaging more than 10 yards a catch, but that's not what you want from him. Yeah. Um, he never drops the ball. He's got great hands. Uh, he's going to be on my 53, no doubt. Okay, fair. And he was on, on my, I want to point that out. Before I get angry. Yeah, I don't know why I just don't believe in the kid, Dave. Where's your faith? <laughs> You're a Houston uh, guy, too. You're dogging out the Houston kid. At tight end, I have uh, Zach Ertz and Dallas Goddard. I only kept two because this is one of those areas I see where the, the Eagles only kept two last year to start the season. But with the ability to move practice squad guys to and fro, I think they can really uh, utilize this because they, they like the young kid Noah Togai. I don't know how to say his name. Noah Togoa. Know what to go? Yeah. That's kind of like me today. I woke up and said, I got nowhere to go. <laughs> uh, but they also have Alex Ellis and Josh Perkins. So my typical thought here is I've seen enough Josh Perkins. And I like him. But if, if the rookie has the same kind of pass catching ability, Alex Ellis to me is a different type of player. I've seen his ability to block. They can even use him as kind of a, uh, an H-back lead blocker type. So they've used him like that. I don't think he's much of a blocker. He's a better blocker than Josh Perkins. Yeah, well, I don't even know if he, if that's true, but um, oh, that is one hundred percent true. Um, I, I even asked Alex Ellis about that after the Giants preseason game, and he said, "Yeah, I'm not much of a blocker. <laughs> You're not going to get that from me." But I can catch. Yeah, but him. he is. He, he. I mean, he's a lot better blocker than these guys. Well, I don't know about Noah Dallas to go. Goddard. Oh, um, no, Noah Togo is not – that's not his name. But Noah Togo, from what I read, I haven't watched a lot of him, but from what I read, is not much of a blog. Like, no, that's the bad. book on him. Yeah. Um, all right, we'll, we'll devote our entire next podcast to the to third-string tight end. How about that? Okay. We'll I like move that. on here. That's, that's the next level, man. I like it. We're going to have a lot of time to kill, so <laughs> <laughs> it might not be a bad idea. Uh, offensive line, I have nine. Um, they typically have – a few years ago, they had eight, which was pretty low, but they're typically in the 9-10 range. Uh, Andre Dillard, Isaac Samalu, Jason Kelsey, Brandon Brooks, Lane Johnson. Those five are your starters. And then these are the backups I have. Jordan Mailata, Matt Pryor, Jack Driscoll, and Prince Tego Wanogo. So I have no Nate Herbig and no Sua Opeta, which is tough because they like both of those players. Don't let Tim McManus know you didn't put Sua on there. He'll be, he'll be upset. Um, if well, I was the Herbig, gonna, the Herbig one was tough. Yeah, because they yeah. like him enough to to keep him on the roster all last year. He's still like twenty two years old. Yeah, um, but they, you know, he's practice squad eligible too, so I'm sure they would keep the him thing. around. And there's a there's a precedent there because remember Dylan Gordon a few years ago they kept how could I forget him, Dylan Gordon? They kept him on their and not, I'm not comparing them as players, but they kept him on their initial his rookie year roster the entire season. And then the next year, they caught him and put him on the practice squad. He ended up getting cut completely later on for some off-the-field stuff. But um, 
they've done that before. So I think that you can sneak Herbig to the practice squad a lot easier than draft picks. Now there's a chance maybe Tego Anogo, he has that knee injury, so maybe there's kind of a built-in excuse to stash him. Maybe you take that. But they might need him to play. Yeah, uh, you know what? I mean, you could pop him uh, pre-existing injury. Um, I'm, I'm not putting both rookies uh, on my 53. I'm going to have Jason Peters on mine. Oh, wow. I'm going to have Jason Peters on mine. I'm not going to – the two Auburn kids, you look at – I mean – Who are you taking off, then? What's that? Who are you taking off? Which one? Well, I'll probably start uh, um, Prince Tega Winoga at uh, on pop. Um, I think I think Driscoll. I mean Driscoll is a four. Mm-hmm. I think he's he's probably going to make it. Um, you know I don't think Jordan Melada is a lock. Um, I think he's probable, but you're talking about four guys. Melada Pryor. I mean Pryor did play in the playoff game. You're talking about three guys at least who've never played. Um, and Matt Pryor has got you know limited. You know they got no. There's not a lot of depth there. Um, experience depth, but um, they're they're guys they all like. Um, but I would, I'm going to put JP on mine. Just kind of a, it's kind of a hunch. Okay. Um, that's kind of what I did at defensive end. I have Brandon Graham, Derek Barnett, Josh Sweat, Jannard Avery, Sharif Miller, and Vinny Curry. Yeah. Same idea. Um, yeah. Casey Tuhill, the seventh round pick. I don't have him making the team. I, I really like the athleticism. It, it looks like he has the tools to be a good player, but I don't know if he's really going to contribute in year one. And it, that's a position where the last couple of years they've had a guy like that. It was Josh Sweat two years ago. It was Sharif Miller last year. So they're okay with not playing a rookie late round defensive end and giving him a year to develop. So I think that's probably the case with Tua. Yeah, I think if they're if they're really high in Sharif, then I don't think we'll see Vinny. You know, I think it's going to depend on. But I don't know how you how do you evaluate Sharif Miller without OTAs. Um, so. That'll be interesting. I mean, Vinny's there. I don't think anyone else is going to sign Vinny. Maybe, maybe they will. I mean, he's a functional player. But I, I think Vinny's either going to be here or not play. Now, Vinny's, okay. made a, Vinny's made a fortune. You know, does he, you know, I mean. He got two big contracts. He did get two big contracts, two overly big contracts. <laughs> I love the kid, but, yeah, um, you know, he had that one, what was it, nine-sack season, and, he, you know, he made a lot of money off that. Um, and then he made think, money off the Super Bowl. Yeah, I think if if uh, I think if if they feel like Sharif can come in and give him 15 snaps a game, Vinny won't be here. But if they don't, then Sharif won't be here. So I think it's one or the other. Okay. Um, I think I would I put had both. That would give me another roster spot. Yeah, I played on roster spots. I could have used that. Uh, you don't see a four get cut um, this quickly, uh, very often, but it does happen. And Sharif, to be fair, was the very last pick in the fourth round. You like you like to say to me he was a fourth round pick. Um, there's, I mean, there's a pretty big difference the beginning of that round to the end of it. Sure, like forty five picks. Yeah, um, Avery's weird because you can't. You know, even if he's good at what he does, he's not going to be getting more than ten or twelve snaps. I would think. Yeah. But he's, they use that. They won't give up on him this early. Uh, no, they're not going to give up on it. But yeah. I'm just saying, when you're looking to fill those reps, sure, you know who, who's going to do it. But um, you know, Sharif is eligible for the practice squad as well, so that's something to keep in mind. But um, yeah, I'm not going to keep. And then Deshaun Hall, uh, you know, he got hurt at the end of the year. 
Um, so he, he's not on the list, but, um, I, I think they could certainly use Vinny. I, I would put Vinny on my, on my roster as well. Okay. Uh, defensive tackle. I have four Fletcher Cox, Hargrave, Malik Jackson, Ridgeway. Yeah. That pretty much speaks for itself. Yeah. yeah. Move on. Not a lot of, not a lot of wiggle room there. Yeah. I like the kid from Michigan state. We'll see what he has, but probably not making the team. Uh, linebacker, Nathan Gary, TJ Edwards, Duke Riley, Jatavis Brown, Davion Taylor, Sean Bradley. Excuse me. Um, Am I boring you? <laughs> just um, – As we talk about special teams linebackers? Well, so, um, you know, Alex Singleton's the one guy you have out who was, uh, you know, a special team or didn't play on defense. Bradley um, – I think Bradley and Taylor are going to fill that special teams void. So yeah, you know I'm going to I'm always going to side with the the Rancocas Valley uh, four by four anchor um, Penn Relays winner. Um, so yeah, you can make that case. Um, I think Singleton will be around. He can make more in the practice squad than he can going back to Canada. So uh, I, I would I, I think you're on the on the right track. Okay, I, I think Bradley's the one guy. I mean, they're not going to get rid of TJ Edwards. They, even though he's undrafted, they like him. So Bradley's the one guy, Bradley or Singleton. Uh, but you're right. They would probably keep the, the draft pick over, over the Canadian guy. You would think so. And if you're just going to ask him to play special teams and not play defense, it's not like there's a huge learning curve like there would be if you're asking him to go play the mic. You know? So I think that's more likely. Uh, corner, we have Darius Slay, Nikel Roby, Coleman. Avante Maddox, Sidney Jones, Rasul Douglas, Cravon LeBlanc. Heavy on corner, I thought about a possible Rasul Douglas trade. Like maybe you just trade him away for a team that's desperate at corner and you get some kind of conditional late-round pick. But given the injuries they've had at that position the last couple years, he's probably worth more just to keep around in case someone gets hurt. Yeah, honestly, I don't think he has a whole lot of trade value. Uh, you know. So, you know, I think on the one hand, you know, it's easy to sit back and say, we, we, we want a really clean house and kind of move on from that 2017 draft and, and have different guys. But if you can't get anything for them and you need depth, you need players, um, I guess it makes sense. You know, I guess. Yeah. And I, I was, I probably got to use Howie's phrase. I probably was starting to get a little cute when I was putting this together thinking, about trading Douglas, but to me, then I ask, is he worth more on the team as a backup or a conditional seventh round pick? It's worth more to keep him for a year. And you never know, maybe in November he'll need to play and start in the game and you'll be happy to have him. Yeah. I mean, he's, he started a lot of games here. Um, I mean, gosh, he's probably started more games than any of the other cornerbacks on the roster. I'm sure he has. I mean, he yeah. started like 18, 18. Unless you include Jalen Mills, and I have him at safety now. So right. you have Rodney McLeod, Jalen Mills, Will Parks, Kayvon Wallace. Yeah, that's pretty much pretty much writes itself. They were really high on Rudy Ford when they got him, but with what they have now, I, he's probably not making the team. I think maybe they keep Marcus Epps around on the practice squad. That's possible. Um but not definitely either because they have Graylin Arnold from Baylor who they really seem to like. Um, this week, Howie Roseman has brought up Graylin Arnold first when talking about the undrafted guys twice. So, Well, he's going alphabetically. 
<laughs> he might be. Yeah. You know what? He might be. He should have um, a list. Yeah. Uh, special teamers, those three, they're here. We'll move on. I did have a practice squad list. Of course you did. Because I'm insane. Uh, Quez Watkins, Casey Tuhill, the two draft picks. Uh, Nate Herbig, Sua Opeta, the two linemen who were on the roster at the end of the year last year. Um, Alex Ellis, Noah <laughs> – I got to find out how to say this guy's name. Noah Tagoa. Noah Tagoa. Until we know otherwise, he's Noah Tagoa. Yeah. Uh, Adrian Killens, Graylin Arnold, Raquan Williams, Tremont Smith. Remember him, the cornerback return guy? Yeah. They brought in last year. Alex Singleton, Joe Osman, and then the 13th – they got a 13th guy uh, this year is Matt Leo, who has that international – what is it? Pathway to something roster exemption? Pathways to success or something. Yeah. It's, um, he's an interesting story, though. You talked to him today. Yeah. Uh, he's six foot five Australian dude. I mean, he, I don't know what the upside is. He played at Iowa State. Wasn't particularly good, but has the, the physical makeup. Um, he's part of the, the program for the NFL. So the Eagles uh, are in the NFC East, obviously. The NFC East got uh, four of these players distributed to them. So it's not like they signed Matt Leo. They kind of got assigned him. Uh, he does not count against the roster, so he's an extra player. He's the 91st player whenever they get to the 90-man limit, and then they're allowed to keep him on the practice squad this year for the entire season. They can't call him up, but it's just an extra player, and you develop him. It's kind of cool. I mean, it's a way for the NFL to give players from outside the country a chance. I didn't realize they can't call him up. They, yeah, if so they have options. Um, I mean, they could put him on the regular practice squad and not use the exemption with him. Um, but then if they do that, then um, – They have to cut somebody. Yeah, they have to cut somebody. For if the they keep squad. him on there for the entire year, then they can just leave him as the roster exemption. Interesting stuff. This is – I spent my day – when they – the Eagles announced that they had acquired Matt Leo, I thought, that's weird. They acquired Matt Leo? So I had to figure out the, the actual process. And well, I did really a 2021 a mock draft, so I can't really rip you for doing a mock practice. That's flag. true. That's true. I think we're, we got anything else today? <laughs> no, I think that's it. I think we covered everything. All right. Uh, thanks to uh, uh, Chris Sims. Really appreciate it. Yeah, that was him. great stuff, Chris. We appreciate that. Yeah. Uh, if you enjoy the podcast, do us a favor, rate, download, subscribe. We always appreciate that. We hear what you guys are saying, and we do read them, so it's cool to interact with you guys. This has been it for the Eagle Eye Podcast brought to you by HERS. We will talk to you next time.